You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider. Two, one. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the I-5 Corridor podcast. Tyson Alger here. No Aiden today, but we do have Steve Mims, uh, sports writer from Eugene. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about two things today, Steve, and and they're, they're top of mind right now because... One, I love baseball, and it's that season. And then two, I love nostalgia. And I, I think both of you and I can can ride that one for a little bit. And uh, that, of course, is it's it's been five years since Oregon's Final Four run. I, I think we've both been probably getting cell phone Facebook notifications of, of memories that have popped up. But uh, before we get into that, I just how, how's it going, man? It, it's it's been a bit since we've had you on the show. It has been. I'm going good. It's uh, yeah the. Uh... The uh, former sports writing life isn't too bad. It's been uh, it's been an interesting couple of years, but I'm enjoying it, and uh, I like still sticking my nose into the sports world a little bit, doing a little bit of radio down here, doing some freelance writing. So anytime I can uh, can walk away from ins- from a day in insurance and talk to some U of O sports, <laughs> I'm happy to do it. Well, that's why I had to include you out of the Oregon Fifty because I had a, a, a stip- the the prestigious. Oregon 50 and I know that when you woke up this morning and saw that you weren't a part it probably was a, a dagger uh, right in the chest but uh, I had a stipulation in there no local writers and uh, you're on the scene enough unfortunately uh, to, to not be able to include you so well uh, and unfortunately when you're when your company has control of your Twitter account for the most part you're not quite <laughs> as entertaining as you used to be so I uh, I tend to shy away from some of those uh some of the more entertaining tweets I used to say, let's, let's put it that way. Cause you, you never know when somebody might be a client of this company and I don't want to be seen on there bashing them. So I try to make sure I, it's all positive. And, but you did a great job on that. The, uh, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed the 50. I think I follow probably about 32 or 33 of them and, uh, and they are good followers. So that, that was, that was a good story idea and execution. You know, it, it was one of those things where I made it through most of the day today without any like, Oh my God, I forgot that one. Because uh, like th- this is a story that I've kind of like off and on thought about for a bit. Because I mean, one, it's just it's kind of fun. I, I think that's my lane is is a little bit of the the off the wall type of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But two, I mean, I'm not going to be honest. It's like a good engagement ploy. I mean, a yeah. lot of these people re- retweeted it. Um, I tried to give it enough substance to make it look like it's not a complete clickbait thing. But uh, I, you know, it it performed well today, and I hope people liked it. Um, yeah, no, that's but, what, sort of what, what those are for. Everybody wants to see their um, wants to see if they're on it. You probably had two hundred people who clicked on it to see and maybe they'd be on that list of fifty. Well, and and, and so that's what I was getting at is I, I made it through most of the day without any like that was an egregious mistake. Um, but I did forget Dan Rubenstein, and he's a pretty big pretty big on the duck beat. I, I mean, not on the duck beat, but like Oregon adjacent um, in terms of uh, Twitter. Uh, he hosts one of college football's biggest podcasts and he's a notable Oregon fan on there. Um, so apologies, Dan, uh, that was a big oversight by me because, Hey, I would have loved that engagement there as well. So, or, or maybe it was a smarter ploy to like exclude him and get the masses riled up and just to get people excited for the 2023 list. We'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, I, that reminds me of when we used to do the Athletes of the Year for high school, and I would always be stressed. That was back before it was kind of online, so it was print only. So if you missed somebody, you couldn't kind of go in there and change it. So we would do like, you know, the top sophomore and junior, and I would just go through records after records after records, making sure there wasn't some kid from Elmira who had been, you know, been all state in three sports <laughs> that I forgot about or something. But it would always, I mean, that 
that hour from seven in the morning till about 10 in the morning, that morning that thing came out, I was always like, God, I hope somebody doesn't call me and be like, hey, you forgot about this person and be like, oh, no, I did. So. Actually, actually, I want to ask you about that. Like, do do how much do you miss the uh, the morning of story runs anxiety of like, God, I just hope I didn't have like some kid's name spelled wrong. I miss that, but I more miss the the uh, the excitement of kind of when a, when a good story's out there or a good game's out there and waking up and kind of seeing your name on there. In fact, uh, it's it's funny that we're going to be talking about that Final Four. There's there's a local liquor store here in town, and uh, if you walk in and turn to your right, the first name you see when you walk in is Steve Mims because they have the uh, Oregon beating Kansas to go to the Final Four is framed and up there. And so oh, really? Ah, uh, that's cool. I reached my goal in life having my name up on a liquor store, but I, I just, when you, every time I walk in there, it gives me a little rush to see, because I, you know, back then the paper was still pretty important for people in terms of uh, getting the information. And when you're at a, a final four, you know, obviously we weren't reading the paper the next day cause we were on the road, but yeah, anytime there was a big event, big game, I loved waking up and, and seeing my name on it in the paper. So I do miss that. No doubt. I, I think I've probably told this story before, but I, uh, when I started working at the Oregonian, um, I've been, since I moved to Portland, I've been a member of the Lloyd Athletic Club, just in, in the Lloyd area of Portland. And in the, uh, in the locker rooms there, it's, they have the classic, um, you know, they, they would put the broadsheet newspaper in sports section in above the urinals. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, people would be taking a piss and they'd be reading the story. <laughs> and, uh, when I was coming up at the Oregonian, like through like the interns and intern and then covering preps, like I was always like, man, like I just want to some, at some point see, somebody taking a piss and reading my story like that's that's my dream and like the year that i got on the ducks beat where i would have actually had that opportunity is when the oregonian switched to uh, the tabloid for format yeah which which no longer fit into the urinal stall um <laughs> things and so uh unfortunately i mean actually i enjoy this part is uh, now it's just filled with far side comics <laughs> um but yeah, ne never, never quite got to accomplish that dream that, that the newspaper industry cost me that, Steve. Yeah, I, I made it to my dream of the liquor store. You fell short of the urinal. We, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we should add higher goals in life, Tyson. I'm not sure, but we, uh, we, we know our target audience, to so put it that way. Yeah. Okay, so um, before, before we get to the Final Four talk, I, I just want to talk a little bit about what's gotten into the Oregon baseball team. And, and, it's, and it's not necessarily a all of a sudden they've they've changed their style i i think ever since they they made the switch from george horton and went went uh, went into the the was era it's obviously they've adapted to kind of the current style of, of baseball last year they hit a team record 56 home runs uh, but they moved the fences in this year after that and right now it is march 31st and this team has hit 41 home runs <laughs> they're only 15 short of the team record they set last year uh, as someone who pro who has probably watched more Oregon baseball than probably anyone out there, maybe than like Todd Miles, uh, <laughs> what's what's it been like to kind of see this? Because I mean, like we we've sat through a billion games where it's Aaron Payne gets hit, he gets bunted over, bunted over to second, he gets bunted over to the third. It's a squeeze play home, like Horton ball, like like this is a completely different era of baseball for for Oregon. Yeah, wasn't that the worst part of covering that? Was every time we you know tweet that a run scored or they lost three to one everybody oh horton ball and horton and you know no, none of those people were in the stands it was you me and about 28 people on some of those march and february evenings but everybody on twitter suddenly wanted to comment on it but yeah it is fascinating to and i i i'll admit at the beginning of the year when i started seeing some of the home run numbers i was like you know i know they were defensive but just 10 feet and you know and now you kind of <laughs> see it but then they were hitting some on the road too and so you started to realize this isn't just a matter of you know, bringing fences in to do it. It seems like 
uh, you know, they've, they've got some guys. And I was kind of going through, I, not covering the team, I'm not as familiar, familiar with the roster. You know, I kind of knew that Kenyon Yovan, Gabe Matthews was the right. last group I knew. And so I kind of went through the roster the other day and um, was just kind of looking. And it's a lot of kind of sophomores and, you know, some guys who maybe have been here three years, but you just don't know them because the, the COVID year shut down. So you miss that year. And then last year they were behind some guys. So you know, it seems like there's some freshmen, but it does seem like there's some kind of you know, second or third year guys, it's tough to know what year to call them these days because they get so many free years. But it does feel like there's some guys who kind of been on the bench waiting and some of the Wazikowski recruits who are just kind of waiting for those guys to go. But yeah, I mean, they have right now, I was looking at that. I think they have, you could, they could run out of starting nine, all who have at least three homers and they've only played like 25 games. So you're looking at, you know, what one out of every eight games, everybody in the lineup's hitting one and, and the numbers uh, you mentioned are, are pretty crazy compared to historically. So I do think the fences have something to do with it, obviously, but uh, I think people who look at it and say they brought the fences in and now the record are, are kind of selling short on some of the quality of people Waz has brought in. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating because, I mean, like, Horton's Ducks didn't have an issue of bringing talent in or, or at least somewhat recruiting it. And, and I say that in the sense of, like, it seemed like every other year they had a guy that would end up being, like, the number six pick in the draft who they really had no shot of uh, mm-hmm. actually coming into Eugene. But, like... He, he recorded really sorry he recruited really good pitchers and he recruited guys that got on base i mean I, I think my my first year covering the team it was it was players like mitchell tolman or tyler Baumgartner. is it tyler yeah. Baumgartner? yeah 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 yeah, yeah. And, and and like those guys mashed i i think what really i think what really just kind of made that era struggle was basically from like 15 through 18 where you weren't getting the like the quality pitching that horton was getting in through his like first like five or six years and uh, you just weren't getting on base at the same clip either. Yeah. Yeah. The pitching part was, I think George put, you know, and again, it's tough to know scholarship wise because I think George put a pretty large amount, maybe more than most would have into pitching. Yeah. It was almost a bad luck for, th- I mean, that one year, you know, we had basically David Peterson who becomes the first round pick, Matt Crook, who had been a first round pick out of high school and Cole Irvin, Cole who's Irvin. made the major leagues, but it's like Irvin missed a whole year from Tommy John Crook missed a year and a half. And then when he came back, he kind of had lost his control. And Peterson never really became that major league guy until his junior year. So it's like you look back now, and I'm sure George thought exactly where those guys are now is what they'd be. But he thought he'd have at least two years of your Friday, Saturday, Sunday being, you know, Peterson, Crook, and Urban, and almost, you know, having kind of that sort of thing. And it never really materialized. He sort of, like I say, when when one guy was on, another guy wasn't, and it never really got to the point to where he had those three. And so yeah, when you're when you're when you're playing an offense trying to get you know three, four, five runs. Uh, you can do that if you have those three major league arms at the top, but he never really had that. So you were getting into some fourth and fifth type guys, and there were some bad Sundays out there, you know, where you're you're in 12-10 type games just trying to use everybody out of the bullpen stuff. So I think I think George had a plan with the offense, but you know, and 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 it never exactly you know came to came to great fruition. But I think he kind of had a plan with it, and it was set up to have kind of the money or the scholarship amounts he had put into pitching, and. and Unfortunately, those three arms just never kind of came through at the same time for him. Have Have you been out to the park yet this season? I have been out. I've been out there for probably uh, I've been out there for two, um, just to kind of look and see. I wanted to kind of see what what the new field looked like more than anything. But yeah, I, I went out. One of them was the other day for kind of an afternoon at a one o'clock game, and so I just happened to be in the area and popped in. It's um, I I haven't been yet, but I've been kind of following along, and it's uh. It, it's a pretty damn entertaining even like Twitter follow because I mean like how, how many games have they just had like big comebacks in too? I, I, I mean, I, I think that's kind of part of the the 
entertaining aspect of this team is is the resolve that's mixed in with that power. As I mean, like you're you're seeing, um, I think it was the Sunday game of the USC, uh, the the Sunday of the USC game where you had the bullpen perform spectacularly yeah. for about five six innings, and then just gave them enough time for the lineup to finally turn around and, and be able to complete that comeback. Like it's, um, I I wanted to ask if you've been to the, any of the games because I'm just I'm just curious when they actually have a team like this that's that's fun to watch that that kind of has that that stick around till the ninth inning mentality like what's the what's the vibe there because like that's something that's really that had trailed off frankly uh, quite a bit from from kind of like the early first wave of, of Oregon baseball yeah I think it's a little bit more than it has been but it, it's not all there yet and again part of that is it's still March and, yeah. and you know baseball in Oregon tends to I mean sometimes heck some of the years there have been a basketball team still in the final four at this time of the year and <laughs> right. so I do think fans will get more into it. And, and I give Waz credit on this. He's really kind of made a point both verbally and in his actions has made it clear that, Hey, we want to get a home field advantage out here. I mean, a lot in college baseball just feel like, you know, there's not a lot of schools that draw out or really kind of count on it. And Oregon had always kind of been that way. I, I think George felt like, Hey, if we put out entertaining thing out there, the crowds come, but you know, maybe they don't, especially with the weather type things. Waz is, you know, this year they had like a free pizza for students thing one day they've started to do, like dollar hot dogs and Cokes, I think, for on some of the games. And I know Waz, just in talking to some people at Oregon, Waz has really kind of been not just like, hey, let the marketing people do it. He's gone in there. And hmm. I know he told some people, like, you know, what, what do we got Major League Baseball prices for our hot dogs and our, you know, and our beers for? What We can't expect people to come here and pay Major League prices for it. And so he's actually been really kind of hands-on trying to get an atmosphere for that. And I, I applaud him for that. I, I think it's a tough sell, again, just because, you know, I mean – Baseball hasn't been great here. I mean, it was, you know, the college, never been in the College World Series. The the one chance, I mean, that was, what, eight, nine years ago. And even though Waz makes the NC2As last year, you know, and they get the home regional, it wasn't one they got out of. So they haven't really built up, you know, kind of that year-over-year success that's going to bring people back. Uh, but I do applaud him for kind of looking around and, and whether it be – and I think that's why the, one of the reasons they brought in the fences and, you know, made the, the turf changes. They wanted to kind of have a more appealing and more fan-friendly game and, so I think in a lot of ways, both on the field and off, he's trying to build that again in year two or year three, but obviously missed most of year one. In year three, that's a tough build. But if they kind of start stringing some NC2A appearances together, maybe win a Pac-12 title, uh, I could see a situation to where you do get to the point to where maybe even once, you know, you're never really going to get it in those non-conference, but maybe when you get a Stanford or an Oregon State coming through here, you can look at getting, you know, maybe 14,000, 15,000 for a three-game weekend. I I sometimes just still wonder where this pro what would have happened had they gotten out of the super regional back yeah. back in the day. I I mean it felt like they had so much momentum at the time. I, I mean, you know, you you can go back and on YouTube and and basically watch that the that um nightmare the of an ending. For, yeah, the the bloop <laughs> a nightmare of an ending. Um, and 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 that was the year before I started covering. So so I was like kind of the year after that, but. That that kind of seemed like the the initial high point for the program, and, and I'm I'm curious where, um, you know I I think they're they're building towards something right now where it does look like a, a like a trip to Omaha at some point could be back on the table, um, but man like they they got just like they got so close back in the day, <laughs> yeah, and to have it be a situation to where I mean thinking back to that, I think it was Texas had lost in that you know first regional to Kent I mean Kent State was not supposed to be in the super regional. I want to say it was Texas. I know it was more of a power team that was supposed to face Oregon that. So it looks like Oregon gets this huge break with Kent state and coming in. And then 
like you say, they, they, they blow the first and then get to the, get to the third one and then let it go. Yeah. I do wonder in the Horton era, I mean, cause George had made Omaha such a thing, even if they just get there, I think it's sort of like a lot of his goals have been accomplished and proven, you know, that what he did and what they set out to do. I mean, when they put that Omaha sign up in the dugout, I think most people originally kind of laughed at it. If he could have gotten there in year four, five, six, it really would have validated a lot of things that I think that when you lose that suddenly you just don't have that, you know, to, to put up on the wall and say you've been there and, and they kept it going for a little bit. Obviously it, it, it fell down pretty, pretty harshly in those last couple of years with him, but I don't know that the overall trajectory of it changes, but I do think that at least kind of the, the, the George Horton reflections of folks would have been, you know, a little bit, Hey, that, that man, he really did something getting them to the college world series. It may not have sustained, but big kudos to him for, for getting it to where Oregon's now considered one of the teams that had been to the college world series. I, I know, I, I know this is kind of at the heart of like what sports writing does, but like, I, I hate that like one bloop can essentially just change like the legacy, not, not, not legacy, legacy of someone, but yeah, like essentially that, I mean, like this was a guy who, who won a college world series at Cal state Fullerton. If he would have been able to at least reach another one at Oregon, like, you're, you're talking about George Horton. Like, I mean, he's already, he's already, is, is he in the Hall of Fame? He's in about seven of them. I don't yeah. know if he's in the college baseball. He's in basically every school he's ever been to, he's in. I don't know that he's in the college baseball one yet, but certainly he will be if he's not yet. Yeah. So, like, like he would have just be like gone into like the upper echelon of, of guys had he been able to do that. And I, I know at, at Oregon, especially kind of during that era where everyone else was having what seemed like, like program best types of success, especially like softball. And, yeah. um, you know, it was kind of like a rough looking comparison, but I, I think that they definitely laid that foundation for, for Waz and this new staff to really kind of jump off of, of with this new era. Yeah, and if they get to that College World Series, I mean, who knows what happens there? I mean, maybe they end up making a run to that final series. Or, I mean, if you're in the eight, you got a fighting chance, and that was a pretty good team. So, uh, I mean, that's the other part of it is it becomes, and, and especially, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a sh short series like that, I think, George, those were kind of his, his best spots at managing, being able to kind of use his lineup and quickly adjust into to different, you know, and he knew every manager or every coach in college baseball and what they did because of his, you know, national reputation. So, I think he probably felt like he could have gone into that and, and you know, kind of had some mind games against some of the best guys. And, you know, if his guys perform, maybe maybe they make a run and have kind of an unreal type of experience that, you know, that, that we also Oregon State have the decade before. What's your favorite memory from five years ago other than uh, the Springsteen cover band at the uh, the media party? <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. Was that the same year as the uh, – is your band from Vegas? Who was your? Uh... Uh, I think that was the year before. Uh, it was the um, uh, the tenors of rock. The tenors of rock. That yes. was that was that was good there too. Uh, <laughs> you know that was uh, th that media party was really cool. Remember that was at that uh, Wrigley House down in Arizona. That was a good one there. Um, I remember walking off the court uh, during one of those uh, one of those final four practice days and seeing like Odell Beckham over in one corner and a bunch of celebs. And uh, that was, that was just a fun year. You know, that, I mean, my, I think for every Oregon fan, it becomes the Boucher year. Everybody says the, what if now, what if Chris had, had kind of made it through, but um, I just think that that run. Um, there was a chemistry that they had, that they had there that I know Chris is probably the, probably the best player of that group now, but like, 
something was just clicking to a point where like I don't know how much better they would have been with Boucher. Yeah, just kind of yeah, but they liked each other a lot. There's no doubt yeah. about that. And and I mean we'd see that. I think you see that more on the road, but at home. But when we'd go to you know the team hotel to do an off day interview and stuff, it felt like those guys were hanging around. I mean they they really did like each other. That group, Dorsey and and Brooks and Bell. You know they'd all been around for a couple years at least and. I think they all knew how good they were. I think there was a confidence that was like, I'm pretty good, not in like a jealous way to where, you know, hey, that guy's getting a little bit more attention than this one. I think they all knew, yeah. you know, and, and pretty much all of them, the starting five go on to some sort of NBA type career. I think they all knew that that they had a role that was going to give them a shot in the NBA. And But the highlight, I mean, the highlight for me is that Kansas one, just because, um, you know, it was, it was a cool story. You know, Landon Lucas, the Portland kid was on Kansas, so it gave us a good off day. I remember talking to some Kansas fan who, who was really, you know, kind of knew both teams a little bit. And he was like, you know, Oregon, you know, other than just, uh, you know, Frank Mason is just going to run all over these guys and Oregon's got no chance. And that was one of those, I, I always remember, you know, you, you don't book the flight for the next weekend because you're not sure they're going to beat Kansas. And then, you know, at halftime, they're up by about 10. And I start yep. looking at, at Austin Meek, like we're going to start, we may have to book this thing pretty quick because we don't want to, if we wait until after post-game interviews are done, you know, this thing's in Phoenix. The half of Eugene might be on its way down there. So now you're spending the second half, once it gets to 15, starting to looking and booking flights. And that whole, you know, seeing Dane Altman kind of on the court and sort of the culmination, what it's been, kind of the culmination of his career, the the best win ever in that Elite Eight. But doing that in Kansas and just being in Kansas City, it was, it was a, a cool atmosphere, that whole place, that whole weekend. And you know, even the two games, the two days before when Kansas wins, just kind of being in an environment like that, that was definitely the the highlight. But yeah, the final four and, and walking through a football stadium, seeing basketball and having a front row seat right behind Jim Nance and, and, yeah. and Grant Hill and Bill Raftery, I'll, I'll never forget some of them. And then for the ones when we weren't on the front row and Oregon wasn't playing, they'd put us in the alternative one. And then you had Charles Barkley and the TNT guys in front of you. So um, some of that stuff was, was absolute. Sir. And those are you know, in sports writing, you look back, some, those are some things that fans would have paid, you know, 7,000 in an auction for oh, yeah, ab- kind of an experience. And, absolutely. and we got it all for free. So I, I look back on those two weeks as two of the most enjoyable of my life. Well, and, it, and it's, I, I was thinking about the final four, like specifically, and like, I, I have this memory of, uh, um, it was like after like the first media day, and uh, it was me, Greif and Sean Mager, we were still there finishing up. And I, I think most people had left. And, um, there was just this rack of balls sitting at center court in the middle of this uh, or basketball arena in the middle of a friggin' football stadium. And it was just like sitting there with like, like a halo coming down, like no one else was around. And so we're like, oh, <laughs> shit, like, I, I, I think it's time for us to go shoot. And uh, it like, like it felt like a reward almost because I think we had been in hotels for, you know, 20 of the last like 20, whatever nights yeah. uh, co- covering a good college basketball team is a grind when you have two games a week like that. And, and it, like it had, you know, there was more attention on that team than I, than I think, you know, you or I were either used to. And uh, I, I think we were all pretty worn down and we just saw these basketballs at the final four it's like all right we're gonna go shoot around <laughs> and uh so so we went and did that and we shot around for like 20 minutes and and i i'm a terrible basketball player i was embarrassing myself but it was just cool to be able to do that and then right at the tail end uh this group came by and as you said you know paying seven thousand dollars for this type of thing it was a tour group that the ncaa had like brought out to shoot those basketballs 
uh, and they had all paid like hundreds of dollars, like for that opportunity. So we, anyways, we, we quickly got, uh, scurried off of, uh, the court there, but that was, uh, you know, it was just like one of those random things. Like, you know, I, I definitely have, um, a lot of great memories from like the actual, like competitive side. I mean, I, I think being able to like follow Dana Altman throughout a month of, of an NCAA tournament, um, like he, he had a swagger to them at that point. And, and that sounds kind of weird for like, you know, kind of. Oh yeah, you know that that type of personality, but like when when Dana's rolling, like he he's he's got this juice to him, and and it's really it's really fun to cover. Like, and uh, you know there were just so many great personalities on there, and I I was looking back at some other pictures and and just seeing like, I think my favorite moments during the tournament are when we're in the locker room. It's maybe on like the the off day we're interviewing players, and there's other games going on, and I have these pictures of like it's me you. Dylan Brooks and Tyler Dorsey, like all watching like the Duke game that's on TV. And it's, it's just, yep. it just felt like, like one of those times where like, not like it's, it's like the reporter player relationship had merged into a point where we're all just like fans of, of the tournament that was going on. And, and, and I think that's what's kind of like my favorite aspect of that is like, you really kind of felt like you were like swept up in something with a whole bunch of people. Well, and like you said, basically for February and March of 2017, I spent more time with Dylan Brooks than I did with my <laughs> wife. There's, there's very little time to doubt about that. Uh, but I'll tell you, yeah, the other one of that was, if you remember going to that Saturday, you know, it looked like this could be Oregon-Gonzaga. I mean, that was the game that Oregon fans had wanted, the Gonzaga fans and Oregon fans had wanted for ever. Neither team would ever do it. And it looks like, you know, what are the odds that this ends up finally occurring in the national championship game? You know, few versus Altman, and you're thinking <laughs> – God, this is going to be great. Um, and then Oregon loses and it doesn't happen. And so that Sunday, Meek and I had decided, you know, since Gonzaga got in, it was like, well, let's stay here because, you know, we can do Mark Few stories. He's from Cresswell. We can kind of localize this and that. So we'll keep our, our press row ticket and have a good row for that. And so, but Sunday, we still didn't have any media to do. So we caught a, an Uber down to the baseball stadium. That was opening day and Mad Bum was pitching for the Giants. Oh, again. How, that's perfect. <laughs> so we just went and grabbed a seat at a bar and then Meek had StubHub and we sat there and waited and something got down to a price we wanted and we bought it. And so suddenly it's like our, you know, even the off day, you're walking around a baseball stadium. And uh, I think Bumgarner hit two home runs that day on an opening day. And uh, so, yeah, it was uh, that whole experience. And then sticking around and like I say, being there for that Gonzaga and, uh, you know, unfortunately for the story it would have been better from our angle if few wins that thing, but, um, just to be there for a nat and it was kind of fun to be at a national title game and yeah, you're doing a few story, but it wasn't like you were right. on deadline or having to, you know, the, the, the result of that game was going to determine, you know, basically the legacy of the program you cover. It was just kind of like <laughs> win or lose, we're going to grab few in a post game interview and get it. So those. Yeah. Even after Oregon lost, there were some great memories for me that I think the the probably the trippiest moment in my career was, uh, I actually flew back the day after Oregon's loss. So I, I didn't stick around for the championship game. Um, cause I, I think I just bought a one-way ticket down and, and the flight was cheap enough to get back. And so I, uh, and, and I had the best seat in the house for the final four. Like I, I have this video of, of Jordan Bell doing the tip and there's nobody in front of me. To, to do it like I was sitting in front of Jay Wright uh, like it was it was nuts it was the stupidest thing um but I watched that national championship game with Jeff Smith um at a, a, a now defunct sports bar in Portland called uh poor sports Jeff and Smith, uh, Jeff Smith a top 50 Twitter follower a, a top 50 Twitter follower <laughs> um and it was just crazy to like watch that and just be able to like point and be like hey like that's legitimately my seat right there like 
nobody's in the, like that's my seat right there like i it, it just felt like one of those like uh it, yeah it, it didn't feel real at that point because you know you get back home and it's like just it's quiet i i think that's the craziest thing about uh the contrast in our lives sometimes is is you'll be in these stadiums with like 80,000 people and it's just loud 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 energy 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 lights and then you get home and then it's just yeah, like quiet. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird contrast. Yeah. And you talk about the moments also, and I know you remember this one, the, you know, Jordan Bell and tears following that game was, you know, just as, as real a moment and as kind of, you know, authentic a moment as you'll get, obviously, you know, blamed himself. There are a couple of rebounds he doesn't get that North Carolina does and it seals it. Um, but I'll never forget, you know, we go into that locker room and everybody immediately goes to him and, and credit to Jordan Bell, tears in his eyes. He sat there, he, like I say, blamed himself, took all the responsibility for it, sat there and answered questions. But that was as, as you know, just authentic and real of a post game, you know, what you, which is, you don't get those in, you know, in, in, in scrums or when the teams can pick which, you no, know, they wouldn't have picked Jordan Bell to come out for that. Right. One. You know, they'd have brought out Tyler Dorsey and Dylan Brooks. But when you get an open locker room like that and you get the opportunity to really see, uh, you know, just kind of the, the way those guys wear it and the, and the way that Jordan Bell wore that. And I always credited him for, for him being able to, to sit there and do that. But man, I will, I will never forget. I mean, even it had to have been like 200 barely speak. It had to have been like 200 reporters in there too. Like I was just looking at a picture of it, of like the line of people to get into the room. And so basically like the game ends and what is it like a 10 minute cool down period? Yeah. Like I, I don't think they even respected the 10 minute cool down yeah. period for this well, one. Oregon had a tendency to try to, uh, <laughs> to try to stretch that into 20 minutes if they could, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, I remember Jordan's voice was so loving. He could barely he was so down that you I mean you had to be close to get a microphone to get it, but if you were close enough to get it, it was just really authentic stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was like that's like I I think that's one of like that process is probably one of the toughest moments of our career because it's mm -hmm. just like I need this scene for my story, like like I need this, but also like I've been covering this dude for three years now, and like you know like we, we, we try to be unbiased, but like, you obviously like feel for this person as a human being, like, you know, the, the, the same three steps that like me, Greif and Sean walked up to go shoot around and have like one of the best moments of our lives, like at the final four, like those were the same ones that like, he basically like head in his, like fell to his knees, like afterwards, like climbing down and like, yep. like with tears in his eyes. And like, it's such a, yeah, like like that that was heavy for him. And then, you know, we have to go hit deadline. Like yeah. we had a stupid deadline for the Oregonian on that one. I think I had like 30 minutes to file because uh, we were being uh, built in New Orleans at the time, I believe. <laughs> just... Yeah, I think that was the second. I think Gonzaga had won. So I think that was like the 6-10 Pacific time start, you know, so it was, yeah. And you wonder on that one, and we talk about Horton, the what ifs here. You know, I, I think Oregon probably beats Gonzaga that year. Um, yeah. You know, and, and you add that to, you know, I mean, Dane Altman's had a crazy career, and I think he'll be in the College Basketball Hall of Fame someday, maybe the basketball one. But you throw a national championship on there, and it uh, it cements that legacy. And, you know, I'm sure for him, you know, the, you still wonder if, you know, team was good enough to do it. And, again, the Boucher injury, but then just they can get by Carolina. I think they beat Gonzaga. And, I mean, how amazing, <laughs> you know, it's for Oregon fans, you know, who – if, if your first win, game over Gonzaga, you've heard Gonzaga yapping for 20 years about being as good and your one win over them is in the national title game. Yeah. I think that would have been uh, a moment for Oregon and, and for Dana Altman that, that really would have solidified some things of the program. I, I wrote about this a little bit uh, two weeks ago after they lost in the NIT. And like, yeah, I, I really viewed that as, I mean, 
you know, we just talked about kind of the confidence and swagger he had during that period. Like, uh, you know, I, I think if you would have done like a national power rankings at that point, I think a lot of national media probably would have put him as like a top five head coach in the country. Yeah. And, and, it, and it really kind of felt like it was his time. You know, he was a guy who was coaching really high quality teams at Creighton, uh, which at the time was kind of like an overlooked, uh, under, uh, uh, underrated uh, university. And, uh, you know, he, he's obviously a little bit of younger than like the Coach K, Roy Williams generation. It kind of felt like that he could get like a late career push there into, you know, not the same echelon, but at least like in some of those discussions. Um, and then you got everything they could have wanted afterwards. You know, they've gotten how many five star picks since the final four? And uh, they haven't been bad by any means, but it just is just I didn't think that that was going to be the peak for them. Yeah, yeah, and, and it would have ended, you know, we all hear of what, 97, Arizona was the last Pac-12 champion, and, you know, Oregon could have kind of carried that mantle for the last five years as, you know, the, the last team to do it. And, and yeah, it's interesting to know where it where it goes. I mean, because you can be really good. I mean, I thought this year's team was really talented, quite yeah. honestly. I remember watching them the first two games of the year in person and thinking, boy, that team, you know, might be as, as good in November as any team I've seen since that Final Four, and, you know, it, it, it falls apart, and, you know, the, the Pac-12 title team from two years ago runs into COVID and can't play. I mean, you just don't know what's going to happen on some of those things. And, um, yeah, I mean, you, you get that close. It's tough to, to imagine unless you're Duke or North Carolina or something that you expect to be there every year. If you're in Oregon and you get that close, you don't know when that opportunity is coming. And, you know, I, I think Dana's going to coach quite a few more years. Yeah. But, but does he get back to that? I mean, he, he could be really good and keep winning Pac-12 titles and, and still not get, you know, back to a, to a level of that. And that's the thing, too, is like by writing that, like I at no means think that one Oregon should make a move or two that he's like any less of a coach that, that than I thought he was like back then. But, you know, it, it's just one of those things where you got to get really lucky in, in this. And a lot of times luck is, is what ends up like kind of like cementing your staff. You know, we just talked about that with Horton, like George Horton's is a, a bloop pop up away from having a complete different legacy. And um you know, if Altman wins one of those, who knows what momentum they would have had, you know, even, even, you know, they've already recruited like crazy since, but, um, and they very well could go ahead and have a great season next year. I, I just, it, it, they have been just a noticeable tick back, um, from, from that era, uh, with like the guys that came Dorsey Brooks and, and Bell when they all came up together. Yeah. Particularly that next year, the fact that the year after that, when all those guys left, they couldn't, you know, they missed the tournament that year, the, you know, Peyton's second year with the Elijah Brown transfer and comes in. The fact that kind of you get to the final four and then the next year it falls off. Obviously, it came back up a little bit beyond that. But, yeah, and you talk about luck. I mean, you talk about good recruiting and luck. You know, the five stars they've gotten since. Troy Brown, you know, never quite played to the level of the five star. Bull Bull gets hurt. Lou King was hurt most of that year. Um, you know, Biddle this year is a five star, but, you know, certainly wasn't a guy who was ready to go year one. It's like, I think fans often look and see, you know, five stars and you think everybody's, you know, follow Bancaro and uh, Chet Holmgren and the guys like that that are ready to go right away. But whether it be through injury or just guys that weren't at that level yet, the high level of recruiting hasn't kind of gotten them a guy. I mean, the, obviously the the top pro pick they've had after Brown has been, you know, Pritchard, who was, I don't know, probably a four star, but was kind of an in-state guy. Right. So they really haven't had one of those big splashy five stars come in and have that kind of even a one and done season that led to, you know, like a lottery pick that takes the team somewhere. It's just sort of been, you know, I mean, King doesn't get drafted bulls second round. Like I say, Troy Brown never really established himself. So I think, I think they still kind of haven't had that, 
that guy who's come in and kind of gotten the fans imagination, even in just one year. How much do you think Dana Altman's teams need to have like, just like the one guy that he can like really ride, whether it be like Brooks or uh, uh, Joe Young for that year. And I mean, you know, you would think that this year's team was Will Richardson, but he obviously had some struggles down the stretch, but it, it really seems like that, like there's always like one guy that that seems to sync most with, 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 with Altman's teams. Yeah. And it feels like it's one guy who has, I mean, I think that whole team loved Dylan Brooks. I'm sure he drove him nuts a lot of times, you know, just with kind of his personality <laughs> and the stuff he did. Uh, but I think there's everybody on that team knew that, you know, he was really good and he was a leader and he could do that. And Pritchard the same way, you know, by that end of that junior year, when he got on that run and then that whole senior year, you knew that whole team, you know, that if they were messing around, you know, Pritchard would get him back in place. And again, the, the kind of guy that, they looked at I, that's why I don't think this year's team had you mentioned Will and it's like that yeah but I'm not sure that Will was ever the you know I mean Pritchard had that in high school he was that yeah. kind of guy I think Brooks probably was that guy growing up I got the idea Will you know even when he came in was a little bit more on the quiet side and kind of preferred to be that way uh, where I don't think that was the case for Brooks or for Pritchard so some of that's just in in recruit I mean they probably knew bringing in that Will's really good but this probably isn't the guy who's going to be the the fire starter for our team this isn't going to be that so the fact they never really could get that guy around him this year. And it's tough when you're bringing in, you know, mostly transfers around him, um, you know, or guys who had, you know, Eric Williams who hadn't been around that long. So I do think this year missed that guy that could walk into practice and everybody kind of followed along or that everybody kind of looked up to and, and knew was the leader of the group. Cause certainly Dana's best teams have had at least one and maybe sometimes a couple of those guys. And it's one of those things too, like, I had one person respond to the column that I wrote with like Dana's career record and it's just and comparing it to like Ernie Kent and just being like, like, why would you ever complain about like how good they, they've been? And I think that's like an unfair thing because like they, like, I, I think basically the whole point I wrote that was cause like that was as disappointed as I've ever, I've ever seen Dana in a post season press conference. I mean, like, yeah. you know, he was the one that was saying, we didn't, we need to make changes. We need to figure this out, this or that. Like, I, I thought that was a rare kind of like really, I mean, like Dana is always like pretty like self-deprecating about like his team, especially early in the season. Uh, but, but like that, that seemed like, like him acknowledging that, like, this is kind of like a big, a big off season for this team. Yeah, and I, I think he's always been the one thing that I, that when he had that press conference and people were like, wow, this is real honesty from Dana. He's always been very honest. You know, it's always he's never sugarcoated or said things are better than they are. Maybe sometimes he said things are worse than they are. But you know, when people acted like, well, he sure is. You know, and and I thought he was just more. I thought he was more passionate in that press yeah. conference. You know, the way I mean, you could tell, and it was a Zoom one. I wasn't there, but you could hear at least three times where he was banging on the table as he was talking. And, you know, I loved the line about the, uh, you know, innate rocket science. If it was, I couldn't be a part of it type things. And I'd never, there's a lot of Dane Altman lines. You and I have, you know, go swing away. How many times have we heard yeah. that? Every time there's a big, oh, just go swing away. Or, you know, the bender. There's a lot of Dane Altmanisms that he repeats over and over. I'd never heard the, uh, you know, the it's not rocket science. And, and if it was, I couldn't be part of it, guys. And, and like I say, he was banging on the tail. That mm. felt to me. As, I mean, the, the honesty has been there before. That just felt to me as, as passionate as it's been. And, and it was a weird time for it to come out, too, because it was an NIT game. And it was a game that had started at like 9 o'clock, you know, so like 11 o'clock there. So it was kind of middle of the afternoon. Um, so I was a little surprised that that was, you know, I would have thought at that point maybe he's like, you know, let's just, this isn't a terrible loss, you know, we're to the number one seed in this thing. And it's only the NIT anyway. But 
Um, I thought that the fact that that game before when they won, he had really, his media had been a lot about how happy the guy, he was really happy to see the guys happy because it had been such a tough year. So maybe that was the part was that he had kind of gone from probably two days in a row on the road where everybody's really up to down. But I, I thought, I thought it was honest, but just to me, that was his, and I wasn't in the room, so I, I can't say for sure, but it just felt like that was as passionate as I've ever seen him in terms of kind of banging on the table and, and saying some things that were not just kind of recited things that he has says at the end of every year, you know, uh, you know, he wasn't just quoting, you know, second chance opportunities and fast break points, you know, that he normally <laughs> yeah. looks at on something. So that was the thing that stuck out to me was just the passion of it. And it certainly told me he's, he's, he's got some years left in this thing. Cause he still certainly wears those. All right. So we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, if you had to buy stock in the next five years of one program, are you going with baseball or men's basketball? Baseball or me- Oregon? Yeah. Oh, I'd go with men's basketball. I, I mean, they've got what the two five stars coming in next year. Um, I think they were getting another. I think the kid from Jefferson was committing today. It sounded like. Um, problem with baseball is you get those guys, you don't get them. You know, you yeah. can get the you can get the five stars, but they they end up going to the draft. And now, quite honestly, you know, basketball's got that too with that overtime elite and. You know, I, I think there's a chance even at Oregon that that, you know, Ware or Johnson could suddenly get an offer to go to something like that. But I think I, I think Dana's got and you know, you only need five guys. Now, my 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 problem with it with taking Oregon and that would be I think that Arizona and UCLA are both back. And and for for real, I think, yeah, both those coaches and the talent, you know, you're not going to go through an era where, uh, you know, and, and Oregon's good years. Arizona was good. UCLA wasn't always. But. I do think that you gotta you gotta take on Arizona and UCLA every year now, um, but if you're you know Oregon baseball, you're probably saying the same thing about Stanford and Oregon State. So, uh, I, I I think I think or I would take Oregon basketball just based on the fact that you know if you if you get two five stars in every recruiting class, suddenly forty year percent of the roster of your yeah. of your players <laughs> on the field is. And uh, but I I do think Waz has that thing going. I I just think that's a tougher build. That's sort of. That might be he might be where Dana was in 2013, you know, 2014. You're you're on the slow build up, whereas Dana's kind of gotten through those those moments and is now at a point to where I think you can consider him a contender every year. Are you guys still doing your uh, your fantasy baseball league? Yes, we are. We got uh, next Tuesday night at, uh, on Zoom. We'll have uh, we will have uh, Ron Bellamy and uh, some of the old uh, Register Guard folks all getting together for him. But it's National League only, so I. I can't draft Julio Rodriguez, unfortunately, for you. Oh, man, I, I just saw him hit that curveball a couple of weeks ago. It was it was it was two breaking balls. He got fooled on. They threw him a third, and I think it was like 117 miles an hour exit velocity. And whoo, I, I, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to be hurt, Steve. Yeah, I was. I, I texted <laughs> In fact, it was uh, we were out Wednesday night, and Seattle was playing the Royals. And Bobby Witt Jr. I saw I get a hit, and I texted Meek. I'm like, man, I'm getting pretty excited about this Royals team. Just Bobby Witt Jr. So I, I know we'll have to do this podcast in ten years and have the Bobby Witt versus Julio <laughs> Rodriguez. Who who turned out better? Because I'm all in on the Bobby Witt train as well right now. Yeah, I, I think Mariners fans have already have already just assumed that Jared Kelnick's just gonna just he's already already broken our hearts so yeah, you know, it doesn't, like, doesn't take long yeah if julio <laughs> rodriguez has a three for 38 stretch or something this year i guess he'll be uh ready to go as well but i'm i'm ready for baseball and i'm, I'm ready for prospects yes sir yes sir well hey thanks a lot for taking the time steve this was great yeah it was awesome man love love catching up and chatting about uh oregon sports and thanks for having me on and let's uh you get down here for a uh a football practice one of these days let's uh i owe you a drink yes sir
Awesome. Thanks a lot, dude. That was great. That was fun. That was You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider.